Well, welcome back to Beyond Sunday, where we take you inside the culture of Vox Church. And today we have a super exciting episode because we are giving a voice to the people. Voice to the people. Let's go. Voice to the people. We're sitting here with our lead pastor, Justin Kendrick. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been asking some of our listeners to call in with some questions. And we have some awesome people lined up today for some questions with Justin Kendrick. Welcome, buddy. What's going on? <laughs> I am so excited to be with you today. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like it, right? I am. Good. good. Overwhelmed with joy. So Beyond Sunday is a podcast where we go inside the culture of Vox Church. And a lot of the times we log into our email and we see some great questions and we wanted to actually reach out to some of our members and figure out what they want to know. Uh, either it could be anything from Vox, it could be anything about you, just just Great. topic topics in general. So I hope you're ready for today. Let's do it. All I right. have not heard any of these. So. No, no, you haven't. So guys, uh, we appreciate you. And again, if you have questions, you can email us at beyondsunday at voxchurch.org. And next time we do this segment, we'll be sure to get your question on air. But our first question is from Everett. This is Everett Hill from North Campus. My wife Angela and I have been coming to Vox since about a year after it started, and we know that you've preached a lot of times at Vox as well as before that during your traveling ministry time. So just wondering, what was one of your favorite times preaching and what made it so special? Oh, what Ooh. was what was one of your favorite times preaching? Yeah, that's a great question. I think uh, the one that comes to mind first, I don't know why it comes to mind first, but it was... Um, at one of the Boston night of worships in Boston, I had an opportunity to preach. It was, uh, it was inside at an arena in Boston. I can't remember which arena, but, uh, but I remember I was just preaching my guts out and this guy started heckling me from the top <laughs> section, probably, you know, 15,000 people. Yeah. There. This guy starts screaming at me and, uh, and I remember I like, I literally had a conversation with this guy oh, man. in front of 15,000 people. Wow. And I didn't just shut him up. Like I talked to him and like I preached back at him and then the whole place exploded in clapping and then they escorted him out. But, <laughs> but it was just, it was like, it was just awesome. It just felt like, you know, it, it felt like one of those moments like Paul in Athens or something. Yeah. It was just a really cool moment. I don't think I've ever heard that story. Yeah. That was a fun one. How, how long one, ago was that? Oh boy, that was probably probably 2012, maybe 2013, oh. something like that. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, it was it was it not was that a little, long. Yes, yeah. six seven years ago, something like that. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. It was a really fun. Uh, I don't know why that was so fun, but that one that one was a fun one. Sweet. Yeah. So Dan, we appreciate you calling in, and this is Dan's. No. Oh, this no, that was ever that was Everett. Yeah, yeah no, okay. Dan's next. Hi, Everett. Love you. Yeah. Okay, here we go, Dan. <laughs> Everett, we appreciate you. All right. So Dan is next. Dan, what do you got for us? Hi, this is Daniel. Thanks for having me on the podcast. You're welcome, buddy. I was wondering if you could share about a leadership experience you had in your teens that taught you lessons that you still apply today. Ooh, that's a great question. Yeah, yeah, we're going way back here. No, 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 that, you kidding me? <laughs> that's where it all began. So actually one pops in my head right away. Uh, I was, um, I was in, in a group of teenagers, what did we call it? Uh, MIT, Ministers in Training. Mm -hmm. uh, pastor Rick Rocco, my youth pastor, who's still a close friend, uh, at the time, he gathered probably 10 to 12 young, I was like 17-year-old, uh, right around that age group. And, you know, he did this thing called MIT. We went through John Maxwell's 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Mm -hmm. 
And we got together, we hung out. Every single week we'd get together, we'd learn leadership principles, we'd try to figure out how to apply them. And then I remember we got to this time where uh, we voted for one person to like lead a project that we were doing. And I put my name forward, and then my friend Jason put his name forward. And we, <laughs> we, the two of us you know, were voted on by this group of 12 or 13, whatever it was, young people to lead this project. And, uh, and he won. I didn't get voted in. And I remember just being super disappointed, you know, but then also figuring out, okay, how am I going to respond to this? Am I going to respond by, you know, being like the lead weight that Jason has to yeah. carry around, like the, the subservient, resentful. you know, like resentful, yeah. manipulative mm -hmm. deputy, or am I just going to serve with my whole heart? And I remember deciding, like, I am going to just give myself for my brother and I'm going to serve him. I'm going to be the best number two. I'm not going to undermine him. I'm not going to question him. I'm just going to serve him. And honestly, I always uh, look back on that because it's one of those fundamental moments that decides what type of leader are you going to be. Uh, God exalts the humble and he humbles those who exalt themselves. Mm -hmm. And it was just one of those moments that, um, you know, the Lord really used to set the temperature of my heart as a leader yeah. that I'm going to take. I want to take the road of Jesus, which is to lower myself and lift up others. Wow. Huge, huge lesson. Dan, what a question, Dan. Dan, it was a big life <laughs> yeah, lesson. Yeah, you're bringing it out. You're That's bringing it. it out. Well, well, thank you, Dan. We appreciate that question. So our next question is from Kate, and I like this question. All right. Hi, Justin. It's Kate. Thanks for having me on the podcast. My question questions for you are, what are you loving right now? What is making you lose your mind right now? And what is anchoring you right now? Thanks. I thought that was a great question because wow. I mean, we're going to take this yeah, thanks, three Kate. ways. So what are you loving right now? What is making you lose your mind right now? And what is anchoring you right now? Yeah. Two things I'm loving right now. Uh, I'm loving, um, John Eldridge's new book, take your life back. Mm -hmm. Really good book talks about simple practices that you can add to your life to really recenter and refocus. And another thing I'm loving right now is every Friday morning, I get up, leave my house early, and go watch the sunrise at the beach. Yeah. And uh, that practice every Friday morning, I literally look forward to it all week. And I just love that time alone with Jesus at the beach. So that's two things that pop in my head right what, away. What time does that actually happen? I'm loving. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. I try to get there early. Um, you know, I try to get there before seven. Sometimes yeah. it's like seven, but I stay there for at least an hour oh, cool. and just get that time, you know, sometime in that, in that window early in the morning. Um, not like four. No, no, not, 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 not that early. Not, not that on Friday. Early. No, no. Fridays, I got to start decompressing. But um, so that's what I'm loving. What was the next one? What's making you lose lose your mind? Uh, making me lose my mind. You know, my kids. <laughs> I don't think, I mean, I don't think anything's making me lose my mind. But, uh, you know, my boys fight. And, uh, and boys will be boys, yeah, right? They, yeah. And they just, you know, I'm trying to teach them to not to get rid of all fighting because listen you got to slug it out sometimes i think in life but to just fight fair and so when they don't fight fair that makes that ticks me off yeah. and so that's making me lose my mind a little bit but you know we're managing that and then what was the other one what is anchoring you right now oh yeah uh personal alone time with god yeah you know for me obviously in quarantine it's sometimes for some of us if you're in a small area of you know the house with family it's tough but I'll do whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. I'll stay up late. I'll go, I'll get, get up early. I got to be alone with God. Yeah. Uh, and so that's my anchor is just time alone. When I miss that, I get a little crazy pretty quick. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, Kate, thank you for your yeah. question. Yeah. Appreciate it. All right, Nico, what do you got for us? Hi, I'm Nico from Vox in Hartford. Thanks for having me on the podcast. So we live in the U.S. where there is such a great variety of so many cultures, nationalities, ethnicities, personal life experiences, ways of thinking, and it goes on. How does Vox Church practice being inclusive amidst the exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus so that the gospel is accessible to anyone and everyone in a way that does not water down the truth? Powerful question. So good. Yeah. yeah. Nico, thanks for that question. That's awesome. Uh, I think there's two ways of looking at it. One would just be culturally inclusive, right? And so every race, every people group, you know, um, uh, you got white people, black people, Hispanic people, Asian, on and on and on, all the different varieties of, you know, culture. Uh, you know, one of the ways that we're hoping and seeking to become more inclusive is just by coming in low by humbling ourselves, by mm -hmm. learning from our brothers, not thinking that we've got it figured out, learning from our sisters, not thinking that we've got it figured out. Uh, I'm trying to develop that within our staff, within our leaders, and then also every opportunity to diversify our leadership. So, you know, candidly, and we've talked about this and preached on this, you know, we started this church with, uh, you know, nine middle-class white people. And then we started planting church in, churches in urban centers where not everyone is middle class or white. Yeah. And so now we're an incredibly diverse church. Thank you, Jesus. But it's about getting that diversity into every level of our leadership. And so, you know, just being intentional to invest in relationships with people who don't look like you. Yeah. And so that's one huge thing when it comes to like cultural diversity. Uh, when it comes to inclusivity in terms of all other areas of life, Nico, you're right. The gospel is both radically inclusive and radically exclusive. And one of the things about being a follower of Jesus is you have to accept that. Mm -hmm. And so what do I mean by that? Well, first I mean, Jesus said, God so loved the world. He said, whosoever believes in me will not perish. Whosoever, that means everyone, mm -hmm. every single person. And so the message of the gospel is not get your life right and then you can come to Jesus. It's come to Jesus and he'll help you get your life right. Mm -hmm. So whether you're, you know, obeying the, the, sexual boundaries of the scriptures, whether you're living free from addiction, whether you're honoring God with your money, don't wait till you get those things figured out to come to Christ. Come to Jesus first. He'll help you get those things figured out. Yeah. And so that's incredibly inclusive. We'd say anybody and everybody is welcome. At the same time, the gospel is radically exclusive. He says, I am the way the truth and the life. He says, listen, Buddha might have had great things to say. He never died and rose again for your sins. Yeah. Confucius might have great things to say. All these different things. There's an exclusivity to the gospel that I think is radical and that will make you unpopular with your postmodern, super cool friends. Mm -hmm. And that is the cross every Christian has to bear. We don't pretend like Jesus says, hey, believe anything and I love you. No, no, no. You have to believe in him and in his way. And so the tension that the Christian life lives in is that we love every person, whether they agree with us or not. And this is really important. I feel like there's a lot of politically driven Christians that say, oh, well, I can't love a Republican. I can't love a Democrat. I can't love a person that practices sexual activities that are outside of what Jesus said. That's not the heart of God at all. Mm -hmm. We love our neighbor as ourselves, whether we agree with them or not. And at the same time, we stand for the biblical standards that God outlines. And that tension makes the world scratch their heads because the world says, hold on a second, hold on a second. If we don't agree, 
then you can't love me. Yeah. And the church says, no, 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 we can radically love you even if we completely disagree. And that should make the world go, well, there's something different about you. Mm. And, uh, and you know they're Christians by their love. And so, so yes, we love the whole world, but we also cling to the teachings of Jesus. And that is a tension uh, that the whole world will stand in awe of when the church does it well. Preach, brother. Preach. Let's yeah. get it. Good good question. Nico. Yeah, Huge. absolutely, Nico. We, we appreciate that. And, you know, culturally, we're so diverse here. But, yep. you know, Christianity is way more than the United States Come itself. On. I mean, it's it's worldwide. So and it, we ha- we're falling behind. I mean, we got to be real. South America, Africa is growing in China, growing in numbers of Christians much faster than North America. So we often think America is at the top of the world and everything. We've got a lot to learn from our brothers and sisters all over the world that are oftentimes have far less access, far less resources, and far greater love. And so we got to come with a teachable spirit. Yeah. I think there's a, a series there. Come on. Yeah, I think there's a series. All right. So we appreciate you, Nico. Thank you very much for the question. Next up, we have Marcy. I mean, Hey, this is Marcy, and I was just wondering what your thoughts were on the Enneagram. Ah, yeah, the, the Enneagram. Enneagram. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I would love to hear you know, what you think about that, because uh, first, do you want to tell everyone yeah. what that is? Yeah, it's like a personality test that, uh, that a lot of people use to get a sense for what type of personality you are. So you've got two sides of the spectrum, right? Some Christians would say the Enneagram is a you know, new age demonic, satanically motivated way to manipulate people and drive them into the despairs of hell. <laughs> then you've got the other side that says the Enneagram is kind of like, you know, a, a, a Myers-Briggs personality test. It's just going to help you understand people better mm-hmm. and learn to, you know, uh, interact more, you know, functionally with each other. I'll be really honest, Marcy, I am not an Enneagram expert. I don't know what my number is. I don't have a strong opinion on the Enneagram. I know a lot of people that I deeply trust who use the Enneagram to mm-hmm. kind of understand maybe staff or uh, married couples or, you know, get a better sense. And I trust those people. So I don't think they're following like, you know, Satan's tool book yeah. um, or toolbox. So I would say, you know, my, my gut would say you shouldn't be afraid of the Enneagram, but don't ever take something like that and lift it up above the gospel and the scriptures. And mm-hmm. so use the gospel and the scriptures as your anchor for truth. And then use those things as potentially helpful aids to learn about others, learn about yourself, but always come back to what does Jesus say about me? That's the core of your identity. It's not if you're an eight or if you're a four or if you're a seven, it's what does Jesus say about me? So these things can be supplemental. And my, my sense would be that they can be helpful, although I am no expert at the, at the Enneagram in particular. Uh, but that's my overall sense with it. Yeah. I, over the course of the years, I've, uh, met with a lot of different people and it was actually one of the a business advisor that I was talking to and he said next time you make a hire just try this yep. so he handed me I forget the exact name of this personality test but he goes when you're hiring a specific role in a specific job this is a good tool for you yep. to use to fill in the gaps yep. because you know he's like I know your personality you're a very big picture but when it comes to small details sometimes they can fall through the cracks yep. he goes you know this will just help you see because you want it to fit kind of like a Tetris piece that's right you know, 
where they all connect into a straight line. You don't want to have big picture way over here and then small or organization because that's what you're hiring for. Right. You're hiring an organizer. Right. So, you know, I could see how that could be beneficial. But oh, again, yeah. you know, that wasn't the main reason why I hired that person. I wasn't totally. just sending that test. First of all, it was 50 bucks per. <laughs> yeah, we put our guys during our hiring process. I think we use seven or eight different personality tests. We actually make people do math tests. We make people do, even if you're like a pastor. You oh, think, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. So they've got to do a math competency test. They've got to do a, a reading comprehension test. So uh, Mike Schnepp, our executive pastor, oversees all the different testing. I do review every, you know, those that the hires that I'm involved in. I review their results, but. Um, but I know we do use a ton of different personalities. We don't use Enneagram right now. Yeah. Uh, we do a Myers-Briggs, we, it's seven or eight different tests. And it costs, you know, honestly, we do a strength finders test. Yep. We like that one. Uh, it does cost money, yeah. uh, but so does hiring the wrong person. Uh -huh. so, um, yeah. so we do put uh, some money into wise it. Wise words, wise words. Well, thank you, Marcy. We appreciate it. All right, Amelia, Amelia. Emilio. Hi, <laughs> my name is Amelia. My question is, what is one quality you love in each of your immediate family members? Boom. Oh. Mic drop. Here we go. One quality I love. Uh, okay, starting with my wife because I love her most. No, I'm just kidding. I love, I love my kids too. Uh, no, number one, my wife is my number one relationship outside of Jesus. No doubt about it. Love my kids, but we're not going to put the kids in front of the wife. That's a huge, huge little lesson in life, by mm -hmm. the way. Uh, I think what I love the most about my wife is she is everything I am not. Uh, mm -hmm. God was very strategic in giving me a woman who is so different than me. And I have learned through years of humility that every area where she is so strong and I'm so weak, I'm so grateful. And every area where she's weak and I'm strong, I need her there too. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we are very different in the way we think about almost everything. And that makes life so much richer. So, um, I could use a hundred different areas, you know, like I'm a thinker, she's a feeler. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I am a planner. She's spontaneous. I am a hermit. She loves people. And that richness has brought out so much in my life. And so I'm so grateful uh, for the differences between me and my wife, Chrissy. And so that, that would be, that would be, you know, I don't know, there's 20 in there, but oh, that's, Oh, Hey, Hey Chrissy. No, I'm yeah, just no, kidding. no, she's, she's not here. here. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sucking up. She'll probably never listen to this, but yeah. that's true. That's true. Uh, Gabriel, what do I love about Gabriel? Gabriel is so, uh, so thoughtful. He always has 10 things going on that you don't know are going on in his mind. The kid reads more than any human I've ever met. Literally. And he is, oh, he's unbelievable. Yeah. And, and he, he's read more than me, you know, at age of 13 than I've read at age 37. And, uh, he's just an incredible, incredible reader. His comprehension is so high, but, but he's always thinking, you know, and he's a deep thinker. So, you know, if ever Gabriel overhears a conversation, it has gone into the annals of his mind forever. <laughs> and so you have to be very careful what you allow him to hear. But I love the fact that he's always thinking deeply. Uh, Noah, uh, Noah is a spontaneous giver. Uh, I love that he just loves to put other people ahead of himself and be kind to others. He's that natural leader that wants to uh, look out for the little guy. And so yeah. I love that about Noah. Um, Ezra is so affectionate. Ezra, uh, more than any of our kids, he looks out for everyone. So he'll come up to me and say, Hey daddy, how are you feeling? I know you had a tummy ache yesterday. Yeah. The other kids don't even remember <laughs> or don't never even notice that yeah. I had a stomach ache, but Ezra remembers. And he's just so thoughtful, uh, in that way. Um, and then, and then Thea, our little girl, uh, she is a fireball mm -hmm. and I love that about her. Uh, she takes risks. She, uh, loves to explore and she's just not scared. Mm -hmm. uh, the girl is just, you know, she's not a scared little girl. She is brave 
even at a very young age, there's just a bravery and a fearlessness about her that I love. So yeah. those are just some quick things, immediate family. I it's, love. it's super interesting. I don't think I've ever, anyone's ever asked me that question before. So as you were giving your answers, I was just thinking about, you know, yes, yeah, thinking yeah. about my kids and my family. I'm like, man, I don't think anyone's ever asked me one specific, yeah. you know, detail. It's usually like, oh, your kid is this yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Hey, how do you feel about your, yeah. your family? Interesting. Well, thank you, Amelia. Great question. Great question. All right. Brandon, Brandon has a good question coming up next. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. My name is Brandon Ojakian, and I've been coming to Vox since Easter of 2019. My question is actually based around that day. Uh, That's the day I got saved and felt God's presence over me and a fire burning for Jesus the first time I came to Vox Church. And when I left there, I texted my friend and I'm like, I'm totally in. What do I do next? But that's not really a question I could get answered for months and months. Mm. And so I know with so many people turning to God right now and feeling that same burning desire to get closeness with God, what are one or two things you'd suggest they do next to really get in and and build their faith and build their relationship? Um, And the second part of my question is for people that have been coming for a long time, maybe lead a community group, maybe you're on the servant team, read the Bible every day but feel like there is so much more they can give to God. What are some things that they can do to continue living a life in Christ and expanding that to sharing their faith with others? Oh, great question. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So the first part, we actually just launched during this quarantine time, a a portion of our website that is uh, voxchurch.org slash follow Jesus. And that will give you some real basic but critical, critical things to do. And there's three in particular. You say, okay, I've trusted in Christ. What do I do next? The first is begin to develop a daily routine of spending time with God. And we Mm -hmm. talk about what does that mean? How do I pray? How do I read the Bible? Every relationship grows, excuse me, when you give it time and when you're intentional. And so intentional time growing with Jesus is just absolutely mission critical. And so that's the first thing is spending daily time with God. Number one, reading the Bible. Number two, praying. And so what does it look like to pray, you know, prayers? What does it look like to read and understand the scriptures? So that's written right out there on the Follow Jesus website. The second thing though, is to begin to develop biblical godly relationships. You know, when you look at your inner circle, Uh, If you want to have a picture of your future, see who you're surrounding yourself with in the present. You'll always follow the course of the people you're closest to. And so that doesn't mean that you have to never be around people who don't follow Jesus. No, God forbid. But it does mean that you have to be intentional and strategic to surround yourself with people who are going where you want to go. And so if you're a new Christian, that means finding people who love and follow Jesus. We do this through servant teams. We do this through community group. We do this by volunteering through outreach. Getting yourself around people who have made Jesus the center of their lives will help you make Jesus the center of your life. So first things you do. I'm a new follower of Jesus. What do I do? Start a daily routine of following God and start a regular routine of being around other people who are passionate about Jesus. Those are the two most important things you can do. Of course, when we have Sunday services, participating in those is critical because you're around followers of Christ. You're learning God's word. You're going deeper with him. And so that would be my advice for the new believer to say, all right, how do I grow my faith? Boom, time with God. It's prayer, Bible study every day, spending as much time as I can around people who love Jesus. Now, second part of that question was, okay, uh, I am a 
ongoing follower of Jesus. I already spend time with God. I already make time with other believers a priority. How do I keep growing? This is so, so, so important. So hear me right now. You will only grow to the degree that you're willing to give what you've learned away. Uh All right. And so a lot of people get bored with their faith because they say, well, Justin, I read the Bible every day and I pray and I come to church every week and I just don't feel like I'm doing anything special for God. Here's the best thing you can do. Find a jacked up, broken person who wants to grow closer to Jesus and spend a lot of time with them, helping them grow. You will grow exponentially by giving away what you've learned. Every time you read the Bible, now you got to go, oh my goodness, I can't even remember what I read. I better remember because Joe's going to ask me and I don't know the answer. And he said, is the Bible accurate? And I don't know if it's accurate because I read a book about that, but I can't even remember. I better go learn. And then he asked me about the gospel of John. I can't even remember the gospel of John. I better go read the gospel of John. In other words, helping someone else grow will grow you. And a lot of Christians, so many Christians, they get to a point where the the number one thing Jesus said that we're supposed to do is go and make disciples. But so many Christians have made good biblical routines and made no disciples. And so you ask them, Hey, who are you helping grow in Christ? And they don't have an answer. Yeah. You're going to plateau pretty quick. Mm. That's deep. That's deep and powerful. I mean, it's, and it goes, it's such a wide variety of people that fit into those categories. And even the second person, it's like, yeah, you know, I've been reading the Bible. I've been doing this, but how much time am I actually spending sharing what I've learned with people? And you mentioned to me a long time ago, you know, it's not necessarily the fact of how much, you know, Mm -hmm. it's about how much you love that person and how much you want them to grow because you can learn all the nuances of the Bible and and things, you know, down the line. But again, if you're just sharing the simple fact that Jesus loves you and, you know, in order to go to heaven, this is what you have to do. That's all. That's all you really need. Well, and you're going to grow. I mean, think about it. You, maybe you start meeting with a guy who's new to faith and he goes, remember he's wet cement. He's like, I'm show me how to do this. And he says, you know, Kurt, what do you do in your time with prayer? And if you're like, oh man, I don't even have a time with prayer, <laughs> it's going to make you step your game up. Yeah. You're going to go, uh, this is what I do. And you step your game up. And then he says, well, Kurt, my mom doesn't know Jesus. What do I say? Mm. And you go, uh, and it's going to push you. So you're only going to grow to the degree that you're investing in someone else. Yeah. Well, we have a great follow-up question All right. uh, for that from Sarah, but thank you, Brandon, for that question. And this is uh, Sarah's follow-up question. Hi, my name is Sarah Carmichael. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Here is my question. I have been watching your golden series and have focused on the second habit of sharing my faith and have been looking for supreme moments in my day-to-day life. Since coming to Christ seven months ago, I have been praying for the salvation of my immediate family, which includes my two sisters and both my parents. I haven't been great yet at sharing my faith, but I've tried to do so on a few occasions and have been met with pretty firm resistance from two of them. One of which who, not so nicely, asked me not to discuss my faith with her because she was not interested. My question is, how do you approach immediate family members who are not saved but are not willing to hear about Jesus? So the flip side of what we've just talked about, now we're trying to, you know, tell people about Jesus and we're getting a little bit of pushback. So, Sarah, um, we appreciate your question. So good. Yeah. Yeah, so good. Yeah, so first of all, I think I think a lot of Christians decide for people that they don't want to hear. In other words, you never, it doesn't sound like that's the case with you, Sarah, but I do want to address it. In other words, they say, oh, well, my dad would never listen to me share about Jesus. And, and I often ask, well, have you ever? And they go, well, no. And I said, well, then how do you know? <laughs> yeah. Because maybe if you said, dad, I want to talk to you about my faith, which is really important to me, and you're important to me, can I share? He might go, yeah, tell me all about it. 
So I just don't want to write people off until they write you off. Now, there are times, like you said, sir, where people do write you off. I've had this happen more times than I can count with close family, with friends. They say, shut up. I don't want to hear about your stinking faith. And when people do that, I honor that. Okay. I'm not somebody who's going to like, well, no, no, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you, and ram it down your throat. But here's what I will do. Number one, I'm going to start praying for that person every day. I'm going to pray that God removes the blinders and gives them a hunger for Jesus. I'm going to pray that God opens their heart and softens their spirit to God. I'm going to pray that because Jesus said, ask and you'll receive, knock and you'll, the door will open. So I do pray that. So that's the first thing you do. The second thing you do is you bait the hook. Jesus, yeah. uh, Jesus talked about the similarity between catching fish and catching catching people and catching people is a lot like catching fish. If you put, you know, a piece of rubber on the end of a hook and throw it down the water, no one is going to bite that. But if you put a worm on the end of that hook, a fish is going to come after it. So you've got to start to learn to bait the hook. What does that mean? It means with, you know, winsome, humble, loving opportunities, you work Jesus into the conversation. So let me try to give you some examples. You know, someone says, man, I'm so stressed about this business. I'm so crazy. You don't go, well, I pray all the time, so I don't have any stress and fear. (laughs) That's not going to go over like, you know, the Bible talks about let your words be seasoned with salt, right? And so what is salt? Salt makes the flavor come out of things, right? Mm -hmm. You take a potato, you put salt on it, you got French fries. I mean, they're so much better than a bland old potato. The only difference was salt, and you fried it. But the only difference really was was <laughs> yeah. salt, right? And so what he's saying is, he's saying, make Jesus sound appealing. So you might say something like, instead of, well, I pray all the time, you go, man, I totally identify. You know, just the other day, I was so stressed, and I just, I got alone, and I started to just, like, humble myself and ask, and I feel like, I feel like God's just starting to take that, that pressure off, period. Yeah. And let them go, oh, shut up, I don't care about that. Or, eventually, they may go, Really? You you pray about it and that helps? No. And you go, yeah. What did you just do? You baited the hook. Mm-hmm. You let them now go, well, tell me about that. You know, or, you know, um, you know, you could say, uh, man, the economic environment right now is so scary. And you say, you know, honestly, uh, I, I was really afraid too. I was really afraid. And, and I've had moments where I've been afraid. But at the end of the day, I'm not scared of losing my money, period. Yeah. What did you just do? You just baited the hook. Mm-hmm. And now they go, you're not, they could either go, all right, whatever. And they can move on. Or they can go, really? Tell me about that. And so you're looking for moments to not come off like you're perfect. That's the worst thing you can do. Uh, To come off like you're in need of God and he's working in your life. Here's another great way to do it. When you mess up, for an unbeliever. Maybe you don't follow through on a project. Maybe you don't come through. Maybe you're late for a meeting. You quickly admit it, you own it, and you apologize. That is so rare in our world. And so you say, hey, I was acting really selfish, and I just want you to know I'm sorry, and I'm trying to do better. That type of humility and transparency is one of the fastest ways people can see Jesus in you. So they can see Jesus in you through your success, but more often they'll see Jesus in you through your failures. And when you're honest and humble about your failures, you're going to look so different from a world that always tries to cover up and make themselves look good that hopefully over time that difference in you becomes attractive. Mm -hmm. And then you open the door, and as they ask, you answer the questions, and you give them more information, and you share about your life. But don't try to be perfect. Don't try to do it all right. Try to be honest. Try to be humble. And then try to be transparent. And in those moments, uh, you're praying. 
that God would give them a soft heart. Sometimes it takes, so Sarah, let me just encourage you. I've done this with family members. It took 20 years before they were interested. And then the Lord turned their heart and they opened their life to Christ. It is not always in six months. It is not always in six years. And so stay encouraged, stay humble, and keep the door of relationship open. Yeah. That's key. Yeah, you mentioned to me a long time ago, same, very similar, but you mentioned breadcrumbs. And yep. that really resonated with me because if you think about it, the people that you see every day, if you just leave a little breadcrumb here, they're going to take it up, you yep. know, and along the same lines, the yep. same stuff that you're talking about. But I kept thinking about, all right, breadcrumb, 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 pretty soon they're going to want the whole loaf. Yep, yep. So, you know, that's that's what I think about. And ask the Holy Spirit in your time in the morning, say, God, I know I'm going to see my dad today. What little breadcrumb could I leave just as an invitation? And, you know, I do encourage you, use wisdom. Don't like, maybe I'll leave three Bibles in his room. Yeah. Like, it's probably too overt, you know, <laughs> especially if he's asked you not to say anything. You got to honor that. Don't ram it down his throat. Instead, yeah. look for little opportunities to serve and to humble yourself. Yeah. Well, Sarah, thanks for that question. We appreciate it. All right, Dan. Dan is up Come next. Come on, Dan. Hey, my name is Dan. I go to the Springfield campus. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Um, I think it's kind of clear that ministry at Vox is pretty specific and it looks a certain way. So that being said, who have been some of the biggest influence on how you think about ministry? What pastors, leaders, businessmen, theologians, etc. have shaped your thinking about ministry? We could probably spend oh, all boy. day with this question, oh, so I'm going to limit you. Okay. You know, and again, we we talked a little bit about this in the past uh, past couple or beginning podcasts. But yeah. you know, what are some of the? And let's just talk about your preaching style. Okay, what are some of the influences that you've had in the past about your preaching style? Because again, you are pretty specific in the mm-hmm. way that you preach. Yep. You know, in comparison to other preachers. Sure. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, Dan, great question. You know, I I am definitely an amalgamation of hundreds, if not thousands of little influences. And, uh, it's always that way when you're trying to find yourself. So yeah, for the sake of this, I'll limit it to preaching, but you're, you're right. Like ministry philosophy, there's a lot of different voices in there as well. Uh, in the world of preaching, you know, I grew up, um, I became a Christian as a teenager in a church that was predominantly African-American, uh, church on the rock, awesome church, love pastor Todd. And my good friend, Jason is the pastor there now in downtown New Haven, awesome church. And, uh, and so for me, um, a, you know, more dynamic, more outspoken, uh, way of preaching was actually always natural to me. And so I was never like the Presbyterian quiet, nothing wrong with that. It just was never what came natural to me as a communicator. I was always a passionate communicator. And so I think that was a huge fundamental shaping of how I like to communicate and who I am as a communicator is that it's, it's more, um, more expressive in my communication, you know? And so I want people to talk to me. I want people to interact with me in my sermon. That's just who I am. And then from there, you know, uh, studying preachers. So a lot of dead guys, you know, studying guys like, um, uh, Charles Spurgeon has been a huge influence on me. Uh, William Booth has been an influence on me. Uh, you know, um, John Wesley, George Whitfield, preachers that have been dead that you can read their sermons and really get a sense for how they communicated. And yeah. so there's been a plenty of dead guys. I don't know. I'd probably have 50 if I listed them all <laughs> that have been a big impact on me. And listen, I had a friend say this to me a long time ago. Not every great reader is a great leader, but every great leader is a great reader. I've mm-hmm. probably read... 500 Charles Spurgeon sermons, maybe more. I mean, I've, I've, I've studied, he's, they call him the Prince of Preachers. Uh, I've studied how he communicates, um, 
extens- extensively because, yeah. you know, he's an influence on me. And so, you know, that is one. D.L. Moody's another one. I studied his preaching quite a bit. And then guys like Billy Graham, uh, you know, Billy Graham was a huge, Reinhard Bonnke was a huge communicator that I studied. And then, you know, all the new guys that have come up in the last few years that are, are more popular, maybe they're not new to you, but you know, guys like, uh, I think Louis Giglio is one of the best preachers out there right now. I think Francis Chan is one of the best preachers out there right now. And so I've studied those guys' lives. Um, Greg Lowry, uh, I studied his communication style and then always looking for, okay, what did they do? Another one is TD Jakes. Of course, he's, he's the king. He's yeah. one of the best, you know? And so, um, what do they do that is effective and that is helpful in the way they break the scriptures down? And then what can I do that, you know, um, that is, you know, helpful, but also natural to me. Mm-hmm. So that's the style piece. But then you've got the content piece. Uh, the first book I'd recommend is Biblical Preaching, Haddon Robinson. You've got to learn to preach from the Bible, not from your ideas. And so I'm not up there trying to say, hey, here are my 10 really great ideas, because I would have ran out of material three yeah. weeks. In. I don't have that many great ideas. <laughs> uh, but the scripture is an unending reservoir of wisdom. And so when you limit yourself to the wisdom, Wisdom of the Bible, not the ideas of man. Uh, you're limitless. Yeah, and so that is a huge, you know, way of thinking about preaching. But those are some of the quick, quick people. But man, it's a long list. So Dan, did you write? Did, did you know, get I, all those guys? No, I'm just kidding. No, but it, again, this is important because this is what shapes you and, yep. and who you are and yep. how you preach. And you know, we're all appreciative of how you preach. Sure, you yeah, know. Yeah. So. Kate is coming up. We have one and a half questions all left. Right, one right, and right. a half yep. questions yep. left. Hi, my name is Kate. My question is, when you're feeling discouraged or unmotivated in a season that God clearly has you in, what do you do to encourage yourself and what books of the Bible do you recommend looking into? So I thought this was a great, yeah, I thought this was a great question, especially in the time that that we're in right now. So, you know, what are some of those things that you may look at if you are feeling a little bit discouraged? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and Kate, I want to be honest with you. So I have, I have, uh, I do not in general in my life of 37 years, um, experience really high highs or really low lows. I, God made me a, a pretty steady person. And so, uh, that steadiness is, you know, my wife will tell you is sometimes a, a blessing and sometimes a curse, but like anyone, Kate, I've had some, some lows and there's no doubt about it. And uh, one of the things that I've found about myself is I am a, I refuel alone. I know this isn't the the case for everyone, uh, but for me, if I just need to get happy, I need to be alone. Um, You know, my wife's the opposite. You know, when she needs to refuel, it's usually, she has a great alone life with God, but, but it's, it's relationship that really fuels her. But for me, I've got to, I've got to get alone. I've got to hear the voice. I've got to hear that inner whisper. And I always focus on this idea, Kate. I focus on okay, what God is accomplishing in me is far more eternal than anything that's happening around me or through me or with me. And so it's what's God doing in me. So I remember years ago, you know, going, God, why am I dealing with this frustrating situation? And God grows, you know, whispers back, I'm teaching you patience. I'm teaching you endurance. He's developing things in me that are far more valuable than anything that's happening around me. So anyways, what I'm saying is when you are discouraged, ask God, Lord, what are you trying to do in me? Because if you can get a picture for what God's trying to do in you, it creates purpose in the midst of frustration. And so that's huge. Getting a clear picture of, you know, what is God trying to accomplish? And then I want to work with God in that. So let me memorize scriptures. Let me focus on that. If he's trying to teach me endurance, then let me scripturally, you know, build up around endurance. Let me focus on that. Let me grow in that. There was a second after the question. What was the second? Do you remember? 
Uh, the books, books in the Bible. Oh yeah. What book in the Bible? So, um, you know, for me, I always meditate when I'm discouraged, I meditate on who I am in Christ. So one way you can do that is take every passage of scripture that says in Christ or with Christ. You can, you know, you can Google passages of scripture that say in Christ or with Christ, make a list and study those scriptures. Mm. Those scriptures remind me that my identity is not rooted in my circumstances. My identity is rooted in one who loves me because he loves me, not because of what I've done, but because he loves me period and so when you meditate on your identity that can't be shaken it allows you to not be shaken in the midst of crazy times yeah okay thank you for that one yeah. so the last question comes from the some of the vox church staff and i'm not gonna ah. i'm not gonna mention specific names and i'm not even gonna play play a voice because oh, you'll know I'll who it is out. so they just want to know why do you love denim so much denim <laughs> why do i love denim um Listen, who doesn't love yeah. denim? <laughs> I, you I don't, don't actually. You're like a spandex and uh, and uh, yeah, yeah. Why do I love denim? You know, there's a few reasons. Let me just get straight with you. First of all, ironing. You don't really have to iron you, denim. You're right. You know, That's true. You, you really don't. Uh, second of all, durability. <laughs> denim lasts longer than other things. You know, it really does. This is uh, so good. Number three, uh, variety. Yeah, you can mix yeah, denim yeah. colors. You can mix you, denim shades. Yes, yes. I mean, come on. There's That's so true. many flavors. That's colors. True. You can go gray. You can go black. You can go white. You yeah. can go blue. There's so many options. Um, you know, uh, versatility. It can be sort of dressy. It can be dressed you're, down. Yeah, you know? you're right. I mean, you're right. you know, denim really is a gift to this world. <laughs> and I think we all need to appreciate that. And, uh, uh, and give it the credit it deserves. I'm literally crying right yeah, now. Yeah. So again, everyone who called in, we appreciate you guys. I love you so much. We appreciate all the questions. And Justin, thank you for being here and answering. And again, if you guys have any questions that you want to hear on the podcast or uh, or at any kind of topic that you want to know about, feel free to email us at beyondsunday at voxchurch.org. We will see you next week, guys. We love you. Bye.